friendship is the foundation of any lasting relationship. It's nice to be quoted accurately. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of A Damn Fine Podcast, the podcast that's revisiting, rewatching, reanalyzing, and recelebrating the classic television show Twin Peaks before it comes back to us for season three this May. My name is Ron Richards, and with me as always is Tom Merritt. It's funny to think that this is the period of time where all we can do is rewatch, right? right? Yes, yes. And then that's going to change on a dime in May. <laughs> it's going to be weird. I'll be honest, it's going to be weird. But I couldn't think of anybody else better to talk about how weird it's going to be than Mr. H. Perry Horton from Film School Rejects. How you doing, Perry? I'm good, guys. Thank you for having me. Yes, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank so, you. So it's funny because, Perry, I, I will admit, uh, in my research for the show, your recaps on Film School Rejects have been a key part of my research, so I want to thank you for that. Oh. So. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, well, it's kind of awkward, Ron. Uh, you know, the person you've been ripping off now is I right here on the show. I would say ripping off, but it's, like, like it's, it's funny because as we as we talk about this stuff, you look, you, you read a story on some random old GeoCities website, and you want to get, you look for another source. You look to validate that or whatnot so perry perry's recaps are fantastic but perry why don't you tell us about uh your history with twin peaks when did you uh how did you get sucked into this david lynch universe well i was i was 12 or 13 when the series started and uh so it was a little out of my wheelhouse but my folks were really into it uh i caught bits here and there but it, you know it, nothing i never really got too into when i went to college a couple years ago was when they put out that massive VHS box set. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, 12 tapes. Just it, The thing was the size of a toaster oven. Uh, and I just, I went head first into them. I, so a friend of had it, and I borrowed that, and I mean, I would just spend weekends going through the whole series over and over and over again. And that, in turn, got me more into into Lynch. I think at that point, the only thing I had really seen was, was Dune, uh, and that just sort of opened the Lynch rabbit hole wide up, and yeah, I've been pouring through it ever since. So, and and so, and you're doing a lot of uh, writing about film and things like that, right? At Film School Rejects, Rejects, what are you what are you up to these days? That's right. I'm the uh, I'm the video content editor over there, uh, and I also handle general news stuff. So that means that basically I take a look at people's video essays or supercuts or montages, sort of any kind of uh, visual criticism, and I, I write that up. Uh, it's basically just you know general film knowledge. Um, but it's it's allowed me to have a place to to dump all of my copious Twin Peaks knowledge. <laughs> well, yeah. So so as part of that, you've been you recapped the entire run. Uh, what what was the origin? Like why why take that endeavor out as 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 two people who are doing it ourselves? Yeah, yeah. Why on earth would you already do this? <laughs> well, well, back in the day, we were a two man operation as well. I was I used to be a member of One Perfect Shot, which got bought out by Film School Rejects about three months ago. Which is a, so, which is a great Twitter account, by the way. And when it's, I, yeah, it's, when, it's I, when I when I when I when I did the front when I back things up and realized you were part of One Perfect Shot, I was like, oh, wow, this is like Twitter royalty here. <laughs> yeah, me and my buddy Jeff, he started it, and he brought me on when he turned it into a website about two years ago, and I just started generating content. And so that's really all it was. It was, hey, we've got to fill five days' worth of content all day long. What do you have? I was like, well, the only thing I really know about exhaustively is Twin Peaks. <laughs> and so we started out with about 15 or 20 uh, just little essays that I did, you know, Twin Peaks and Film Noir, Food in Twin Peaks, Water in Twin Peaks, stuff like that. And then we dove headfirst into episode-by-episode episode recaps. 
complete with a, a fire walk with me recap that, that ended things a couple of weeks ago. My original plan had been to start the recaps so that I could end it just before season three started. <laughs> But the runaround for that went on too long, and I just I just yeah, had to dive yeah. into Believe it. Believe me, we yeah, feel we, your pain. <laughs> we can right? we, we can relate to that. We spent we spent most of this fall trying to predict when the show would come out yep. and how to time it, and like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had I think I was going for like early April was what mm-hmm. was what I had not too far off. Yeah, not too far off. Not too far off, but. God, I mean, we've already waited a quarter century. Do they have to tease us like this? Well, <laughs> yes, exactly. apparently, yes. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and how has the reaction been to your recaps? Have you gotten Have you gotten fans kind of uh, d- debating some of the points you've made, or has it been generally positive? It's been, it's been pretty nice. Yeah, I think it's generated a lot of conversation, and I think I think it's just I think it's a great time because, like you sort of hinted at earlier, like for the last twenty five years, all we can do is rewatch, and that's that's plenty of fun, and it generates a lot of conversation. But now that we're watching watching it knowing that something new is coming i think it just makes it a completely different experience i think it did you notice anything different or new this this last time around i think just a lot of it's tough i think i, I noticed a lot of connections that i want to be there uh-huh. uh, especially in, in this episode there, there was a thing or two there were a, a line or two that was mentioned that made me think like gosh is this something that that they're going through when they're thinking about episode uh, season three you know how much of this did frost and lynch go back through and try to you know sort of prove that this thing had been percolating even though i you know, i think we know that it wasn't necessarily sure that was they were there a fish back. in that percolator yeah <laughs> Now, it's I like, can't use the word without thinking it. <laughs> Historically, I, I mean, I've always been. I have nothing to back this up, and maybe Perry, you can uh, you can verify this or not. But I've always, for the past twenty plus years, I've always operated that there was a point where David Lynch just lost interest. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and so, like, what I've been trying to do is figure out what where that point was, and I think we're getting there, Tom. I think we're close. But uh, yeah, if not, if not now, pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I always yeah, felt, I think I think he I think he checked out between seasons and then just sort of stuck around for a little bit of the of the second to to get his i think by the time we get to this point where we are at episode 10 he has started phasing himself out yeah yeah so um all right well that said should we uh dive right into the episode and i'm sure there's gonna be a lot more to talk about so uh so this is uh this is the uh, the german episode title for season two episode 10 is dispute between brothers um and uh, guys we can try to figure out who the brothers are at the end of the episode how about that um, I love these German titles. Perry, <laughs> where, where, where do you where do you fall on the German titling? Do you, do you go with it or do you not go with it? And also, where do you fall on the numbering? Because that's also I, an issue that we've been discussing. <laughs> that's why I go with the German titles because the numbering <laughs> is so nuts. Me personally, I do it. I do it old school way where I don't count the pilot. Wow. Okay. Uh, okay. But, All right. but Netflix style, which is the way that most people are getting it nowadays, Netflix counts the pilot as episode one. So that's why I use the titles to just, I, I, you know, when I title something, I'll say season two, episode blank. Give, then give the title then in the body I'll use the overall number but it confuses the hell out of everyone every single time <laughs> including, yeah, we kind of gave post, up on it including, yeah, every time I post I get some jackass coming to me going like ah actually you're off an episode <laughs> no one said well, it's, it's episode 10 of season 2 today which is the 18th episode of the series if you count the pilot titled episode 17 in <laughs> Germany when it was first released titled dispute between brothers that's all we have to say right it's, it's, uh, so, right that's what's 
what's confusing about it's that? It's that simple. And the funny thing is, I've been hoping that amongst our listeners that this would become kind of like a drinking game, Tom. We're like, oh, they're trying to figure out the numbers, <laughs> but nobody has said anything publicly, so I think actually they're not amused by this at all. Because they but, passed out. That's yeah, why. They, we'll see. Yeah. They're just all too confused to comment. Yeah. So season two, episode 10, Dispute Between Brothers, is originally aired on December 8th, 1990. Uh, it was uh, written by Trisha Brock. Uh, and directed by Tina Rathborn. Uh, Tina Rathborn uh, previously directed uh, episode three of season one, uh, the "Rest in Pain," the the memorable uh, episode, right? And the, the uh, jumping up and down on the on the casket episode, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, Trisha Brock uh, actually was uh, this is one of her earliest works. Uh, notable that this is two women writing and directing this episode, which is pretty cool for nineteen, you mm-hmm. know, for that time period. Um, That's true. And Trisha Brock uh, uh, continued to be a TV writer until the early 2000s, and then she moved to directing. She did some small films, and then 2005, she, she switched over to television directing full-time, um, and she's directed episodes of Grey's Anatomy, Mr. Robot, Breaking Bad, 30 Rock, and a bunch of other great stuff. Uh, Perry, any insight on this t- writing and directing team? Where, where do you think they rank in the pantheon of writers and directors at Twin Peaks? This is a tough episode, and I, I think they handle it pretty well. <laughs> Uh, I like that you brought up that it's the that it's one of the episodes that's both written and directed by uh, women. I think that's I think it's one of two episodes. I think again, an episode uh, twenty three or twenty four, mm-hmm. the condemned woman. You you get Leslie Link a gladder back with with Trisha Brock writing. Um, this is a tough episode, but I think it's handled pretty well. I think the thing that distinguishes Twin Peaks directors is how much do they give into the aesthetic of Twin Peaks and how much do they sort of put their own stamp on it? And this mm. one feels like it's got their own stamp on it. Yeah, absolutely. Good or bad. So. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, and so before we dive into the actual episode, I do want to re- revisit the ratings. Uh, this episode was watched by 11.1 million people. And uh, we're going to see a pattern here, Tom, moving forward. It's still in second place. Uh, the the Carol and Company machine juggernaut keeps on rolling with 20.8 million people who watched it. They came in first, and Twin Peaks was second with 11.1, and Wise Guy continues to come in last on CBS with 9.5. F- uh, fun sorry, fact, Wise Guy. Fun fact Jeez. about Wise Guy. Uh, yeah? My grandfather's favorite television show back in the day. No kidding. He, he, would lo- he loved to watch the Mets. He was and the Wise guy. guy. He was the guy, yeah. So there you go. He loved that Ken Hall. Yeah. So, um, uh, by the way, uh, to anyone doing a Carol and Company rewatch, we'd love to cross promote. Just let us know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's dive right in. So uh, this episode picks up. Uh, we get a nice kind of a, a, a nice shot of the road, and then we get a sweeping shot of Laura and Leland uh, Leland's photos on the mantle at the Palmer household, uh, and we get the text three days later. Which I found interesting because this is the first break in the every episode representing a day since the first episode. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the first time we have a jump, true. Uh, which is which is interesting. Uh, and without a previously on, it kind of feels like it jumps out of nowhere. You're like three days later from what? I, I do, right. do I remember what happened last time? Right. So uh, and we we continue panning over and we see Doc Hayward is uh, doping Mrs. Palmer up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Doc Hayward. <laughs> Doc Hayward just wants to sedate everybody. This is what I found. Yeah, it's just all. <laughs> just calm down for a little while. It'll be better. Um, but uh, the Ramones were his dream band, weren't they? <laughs> but Mrs. Palmer uh, doesn't want anything to do with it. It's we're, we. I get. We get the, immediately get the sense that this is before Leland's funeral, and she says that she doesn't want it. That she wants to be there. She needs to be there for both 
Cleveland and for Laura. Um, and then we kind of get gladdered with this, Tom, if you remember the term that I said where we, oh, don't, right. we, don't, yeah. we don't realize that Cooper is there. But sure enough, he is. He's also there. And he starts uh, telling Mrs. Palmer about Leland's last moments and about Bob and about how Leland was not in control of his actions. Uh, Sarah mentions that she saw that man with the dirty long hair. And I was like, oh, Sarah saw Bob. Um, and then Cooper gives a very impassioned kind of long monologue to her about Leland and, and that uh, how he was aware of his actions and apologized and felt horrible for it and knew that and saw Laura at the end and Laura forgave him um, and what I thought was interesting about this is that this is all just a extreme close up of Mrs. Palmer's face that pulls in um, and we see Cooper's hand and his voice but we never see him until towards the end of it uh, which I thought was interesting I don't know um, I don't know if you guys picked up on that either as well it's sort yeah, of playing back to the first episode right where they where they hold on on Sarah for so long so often yeah. just that extended reaction shot yeah, and, and and it feels like a bookend because at that point you see Sarah going into grief, uh, a grief that is inco- uncomfortable to watch, and here you see her, not not ending her grief but coming out of it, and deciding sure. that she's not going to give into it and 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 abandon herself like she did at the beginning. This is where she becomes strong. Yeah. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because you don't see too much more of her after this. I know but, they finally set me up to like Sarah Palmer right. in this scene. Right, she's finally something other than just a you know a, a woman just insane with grief mm-hmm. as she should be. Like she's finally starting to get a little more depth, and then just I mean, what do we see her? Maybe one more time, two more times, uh, episodes from now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just I'm just pleased that she's not screaming in this episode. Yeah. yeah because uh, because I because I just associated her so much with the screaming, and that actually ties with um, as Cooper is explaining to her what happened with Leland and how he died at peace and things like that. He also mentions he says that you know Leland went as far as to drug you to hide his actions from you, and I was like, how did Cooper know he did that? There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of stuff that Cooper seems to have intuited. <laughs> Well, yeah. Leland talked for a lot longer than we saw in right, the last yeah. episode, right? Yeah, you know, yeah it just, there was just a lot of stuff that notes. they cut out. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't important. Yeah. So, um, but we get the we get the, the 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 swirling Laura's theme as Cooper continues to tell her how much Leland loved her and, and Laura. Um, and then he offers, he said he'd be honored to drive her to the funeral. Uh, but she goes to her missing earring and says that Leland always found the other earring. And then mm. we uh, we get a cut to the ceiling fan, which kind of scared me again because I was like, "Oh, yes. is Bob here?" As it like, should. Yeah. What does that mean? Does that mean Bob's nearby, or is that just a a transition? I don't know. <laughs> There's never Bob's been a really satisfactory answer for what that shot means. Yeah, I always got the sense that it meant that it was happening, but maybe not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then uh, we cut to uh, we cut to post funeral, and it's the wake. As the other, as the remaining opening credits roll, the other uh, mentions of folks, and we just see a amazing spread that is just that is second to Thanksgiving. <laughs> we, we we got ham, we got carrots, sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, deviled eggs, corn, and of course pie. Right. This one hits home because yeah. this is definitely what funerals look like growing oh, up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. This is a small town funeral. Pa- Perry, Perry, where'd you grow Everybody's- up? In- Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in I grew up in rural North Carolina, and I live in rural Washington State now. <laughs> wow, is that Beaks? I, I live. You know what? I live about ninety minutes away. Nice. Wow. Okay. All right then. Um, yeah, this is nothing like funerals in New York, but uh, I, I'll I'll leave that to the imagination. <laughs> 
Um, but we get we get a little bit of new music uh, that we've never heard before. As season two kind of tries to struggles to get its own identity, um, and we see Nadine standing awkwardly in a in a ridiculous dress, uh, shining her shoes. Uh, and I got I gotta ask why is Nadine here? But anyway. Because it's a small town, man. The whole town comes out. Well, they they do refer to that. So this scene is ridiculous because nearly everybody is in this scene. This is like a all-star. So I want to cut through quickly. Um, We got Nadine shining her shoes and an interesting perspective shot looking up at her from the the floor. Um, Then we see Hank uh, going for some more Waldorf salad and making a plate. And I assumed he was making a plate for Norma, and as he walks towards Norma talking to Big Ed, but he clarifies that he's, he made Mrs. Palmer a plate. And, and I what, feel like that he, was an audible. Yeah, and what? <laughs> 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 like he saw Ed and was like, I want to be the better like he guy. He was bringing that to Norma, and yeah. it was like, well, screw her. I'm taking this to well, Sarah Palmer. <laughs> Maybe. Because um, well, that was my thought, is that in what world does Hank know Mrs. Palmer? Yeah, right. and she doesn't seem to want the plate either. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, but sure, but sure enough, the plate, uh, him delivering the plate, leads uh, Audrey, who's sitting next to Mrs. Palmer, along with uh, Doc Hayward's wife, to ask, "Who invites people to these things? Or do people just show up?" And so, yeah. ask and answered. There we go. Um, <laughs> and then we get, uh, then we get uh, Mrs. Hayward reminiscing about her own mother's death in that funeral. Um, and then we cut to Donna talking to Big Ed, and Donna feels the town is falling apart, and James is blaming himself, but Big Ed assures her that he'll come back and everything will be better. I don't know about that. Mm. Um, he might come back. Yeah. I don't know about the second part. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, Major Briggs comes in, and uh, everybody's happy to see Major Briggs, and of course he welcomes Dr. Jacoby, who's casually standing there, who's back from Hawaii, um, and everybody is oddly happy. <laughs> Right? I don't know. I mean, for was a dead man's party, everyone's yeah. in good spirits. I, I get that. I get that you want to keep your head up and do it for Laura and whatnot. We could do it for Sarah, but there, well, there's a, there's a certain thing I've noticed at actual funerals where people seem happier than they should sometimes because they just sort of forget that they're at a fun, you know, at a, at a funeral because they're yep. mingling or whatever. But also, I think there's a little bit of this is the guy who killed Laura Palmer, who killed. Sure. You know, we're here for Sarah, but. We're kind of not sad that guy's dead. Right. There's there's relief. Their their daughters yeah. are safe. There's no there's no more maniac among them. Well, but the thing is also is that this begs the question: How much do these people at this wake know? That is a good question. Do they think that I mean, Leland? Yeah, what is the what is the story that's being told? Exactly. Right. What is what is the what is the public facing story? Is Leland dead or Leland killed his daughter and his niece and these other girls yeah, and like, he's a demon? That's scenario? <laughs> scenario. He's like a, an incestual rapist and a, and a serial killer. Right. Like like what did they, did they even like? Uh, this is why I don't like the three day jump. I want to see what happened in these three days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How does this circulate around town? Because that would you think that a guy like that wouldn't get this kind of turnout at a funeral no matter how big the town is well yeah. especially because the reason we as viewers feel for leland is because we know he was right. possessed by bob we're pretty sure that probably didn't make it into the the obituary right right yeah well probably. <laughs> well we could we could we could we could ask the publisher of the newspaper because uh he's there at the at the table yep. arguing with his brother who's the mayor of the town who you might remember from the first episode so yeah. Uh, yeah, so old men arguing at the table, um, and they cut back to Major Briggs asking Cooper what's next, and Cooper says he's not sure, but he's got some vacation time saved up. And uh, so Briggs invites Cooper to go out night fishing, to which Cooper says, aces, which uh, I adopted for a time in middle school because I thought that was so cool because I wanted to be cool. I have now started saying it again after rewatching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so we cut back to Nadine, who's, who, go, who comes up to Big Ed, and uh, we find out why she was looking at her shoes, because she's concerned that the boys can see her underpants in the reflection, of which Ed assures her that is not happening, and Donna looks stunned. Uh, <laughs> Donna so. always looks stunned. Uh, but then we, get, uh, we go back to Mrs. Palmer as she's reminiscing about Donna and Laura making a promise to be best friends forever. Uh, and she realizes it was a promise not to die, which is creepy and weird. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then this is interrupted by uh, uh, the, the two old men at the table get into a fight. Uh, which is hysterical as the, as, as, <laughs> as the publisher of the paper grabs the mayor by his ear, um, of which Keith, Cooper and Pete just la- Pete Martell just laugh at this. And, <laughs> and as Pete gives us the exposition on the mayor mm. and the publisher, the brothers who've been feuding for 50 years, um, and Doc Hayward says, yeah, we don't, it's been going on for so long, we don't even know why, um, but give it to Truman to remember that it was 1962 the last time the mayor ran for office, which begs the question, how old was Truman in 1962? And all this just makes Cooper think he's going to miss this place. So um, Harry, I'm really going to miss this. Place. Scenes of Twin Peaks at a wake. Uh, I don't know. What, what did you guys think of this scene? I thought this was, this was a lot to take in and this went on forever. It's a big scene for yeah. not really accomplishing a whole lot. I mean, other than just showing us that Sarah's moving on and that this part of the story is over, it doesn't really accomplish much and it just goes on entirely too long well it, it does give us it gives us the 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 mayor and his brother which right. goes on it's for a setting few up I mean, that story yeah, se- yeah right up, which is a cute little bit but other than that and really nothing else and more nadine i, f- I feel like nadine nadine is becoming like the threat in every episode it's like oh god not another nadine moment um <laughs> but yeah until <laughs> well, for the those... evelyn story starts yeah Okay. For the few people switching over from Carol and company uh, <laughs> at this point, I, I feel like the scene is meant to reintroduce you. And remember, we've talked about this a lot. There's a lot of that in these episodes where people didn't DVR. They very, barely even videotaped. And so you're assuming people are just popping in. You go, oh, this is Norma and Hank and they have tension. And here's Nadine and she's crazy. And here's Donna and she's sad. And, you know, and and so we, we that this scene is really carrying a lot of introductory material here yeah which makes sense being being the first episode sort of of the the next phase of twin peaks it makes sense that you'd want to reestablish characters and their their quirks right and yeah. this is a really expository episode and, and, what's, is. and what's funny is that if you look at it so this was december 8th 1990 and it's just a week after it's not like you know i thought maybe with thanksgiving there was there a delay or anything like that but you, you know you went november 17th and then they had a gap for thanksgiving december 1st and then this episode tom like we were talking last uh, last episode last week um, this feels like the first episode of a new season almost yeah, it really does. It really, really does. And doing a lot of that exposition and doing that, you know, kind of filling in the blanks and giving you the little quirks. Um, it's just weird. I do want to highlight one little bit of uh, good writing by Trisha Brock where when Pete's explaining Dougie and Dwayne, the mayor and the, pub- and the newspaper publisher, and uh, explaining how uh, one of them is marrying a teenager. And he says it's one of those, what did he say, Jan- January, December romances? Yeah. <laughs> Which is which is how much is that Pete getting it wrong or clever writing? So <laughs> I I, don't, I just want Pete Martell to explain everything to me. That's all. <laughs> Pete's the best. 
Um, <laughs> all right. So we're going to move on from the, uh, from the Palmer house. Uh, and like I said, we get whacked over the head with a, a Nadine moment. Uh, we get a shot at Twin Peaks High School and we see the assistant principal uh, saying, you want me to enroll a 35-year-old woman into high school? And sure enough, we cut, and it's Big Ed and Dr. Kobe sitting there as Nadine pops her head in and says she's anxious for the cheerleading tryouts. Um, weird. So I guess Dr. Kobe is back from Hawaii and now advising Big Ed to continue Doc Hayward's suggestion of just rolling with this. Yep. I mean, this is why we had to have Dr. Jacoby back yeah. so that yeah. he yeah. could sit there and say, no, I want a 35-year-old woman enrolled. You need to help us out, principal. <laughs> Otherwise, none of this that barely makes sense as it is makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. Um, real quick note, the vice principal is, play, uh, is vice principal Greege, and he's played by Don Kalfa, who you might recognize from Weekend at Bernie's, and I recognized him from, he played Mr. Pitts on Beverly Hills 90210, yeah. uh-huh. Don, yep. Don, Donna and David's uh, landlord, I believe, so, yep. Oh. And we are, we do get a lot of different scenes. Uh, we've kind of been in the same places for a long time. And so even though we're, we've been to the high school before, we've never been in the principal's office. We've never really been out on the football field. Right. So so we get to see a, a lot of different stuff. We'll, we'll get to see Harry's place later, which we've never seen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the, some of the stuff we never get to see, uh, we might've been better off without it, but we'll get to that. Yeah, well, that's argued. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so then we cut to the great Northern as Cooper is, uh, is packing. Uh, he's wearing his fishing vest and he's, uh, getting ready to go fishing with with major briggs uh audrey comes to the door and uh asks if he's leaving and we get the little this is the kind of the the denouement the end of uh the cooper audrey romance as uh she accuses cooper of saving her life and then breaking her heart and cooper reminds her that she's involved in a case and that's against the rules and uh she says you know i bet you somebody hurt you and he says no someone was hurt by me and i'll never let that happen again um, and then we proceed to get exposition uh, and a little more information about Wyndham Merle. And we find. Well, and not only that, but Audrey's like, what happened? Did she die or something? Yeah. <laughs> like, She's in the room, Audrey. <laughs> right, really? Yeah. <laughs> Just that big grin on her face. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but so Cooper explains that, uh, that she did in fact die and uh, she was a witness and he was supposed to protect her with Wyndham Merle, uh, the agent who taught him everything he knows. And that when the attempt on her life was made, uh, Cooper wasn't ready. And he wasn't ready because he loved her. And she died in his arms. Cooper was badly injured. And his partner lost his mind. And he kind of trails off in the distance. Why did the partner lose his mind? Right? What a picture that paints. The first time you hear that, you're like, wait, what what scenario is this in which somebody loses their grip on sanity? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not the guy who got hurt. Yeah. Not it, the guy who had someone die in his arms that he loved. Right, that he yeah, loved. Exactly, yeah. Like, why didn't Cooper go crazy? Anyway, so, um, but then Cooper, you know, he verifies to Audrey that he cares about her, and she's a friend, and she'll always be a friend. And she warns him that when she's going to grow up, and she'll be on her own, and he better watch out. And that the only problem with Cooper is that he's perfect. Uh, <laughs> which, is, which is a nice compliment, I think. You know, so. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, and honestly, if it weren't for the spooky music, this would be a very mundane soap opera scene here there, and in well, fact that's that's true of a lot yeah. of this episode yeah i, I mean it's just it's it, i mean this wraps up the odd we need to release audrey from the cooper thing so that she can mm-hmm. now move on to a new storyline this is all about moving people to storylines this episode yep um but isn't that sorry just to make a side yeah. note like isn't isn't the cooper audrey storyline being thwarted from you know by behind the scenes stuff this is what makes the next this episode and the rest of them so hodgepodge because Cooper and Audrey were intended, their story was supposed to fill in the gap between 
Laura, and Wyndham. And when it got kiboshed by McLaughlin, the writers were left with no time to, to fix it. So they're just running with all the subplots they had going. That's yeah. why this stuff feels fattened and unnecessary and longer than it does because it was only supposed to be, you know, in the background. And now it's all we have for, you know, six weeks or so. That is such a good point. And this, let, this episode is marbled with subplots. And let's, yeah. and let's not place all the blame on McLaughlin. Let's, let's, let's have Lara Flynn Boyle share some of that no, blame. That's, that's where I put the blame. That's where I put the blame. McLaughlin was just being a good boyfriend. He was. He was. His girl. His, his girlfriend was going. Oh, Kyle. I don't want you doing scenes with her. He's getting more lines than me. He's just being. He's just being. He's just doing what every man in a relationship. She can't even doing, really yes, tie sir. a cherry stem with her mouth. <laughs> I had to cut away for that. Uh, well, if, maybe if Donna wasn't so busy being awful. But anyway. So. Mm. Uh, all right. So then we cut to Leo's house, uh, where. In possibly like Twin Peaks, I'm realizing is a collection of teenagers doing mean things, and and I'm gonna add this to the list uh, as Bobby is trying on Leo's suit while Leo is has a mirror propped up against his chest for Bobby to see how he looks. <laughs> like this is and, then, and Shelley is complaining. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> like everyone's being awful except yeah. for Leo in this scene. Yeah, um, and Bobby's looking dapper. It looks like he got a haircut. I can't tell if he just slicked his hair back. I can't tell. But uh, I mean, is he? That suit does not fit him. <laughs> well, it was the nineties. There's significantly different shapes. Those two. Yeah, I'm just still hung up that they propped the mirror up on Leo. Come on, it's like he's using his chin to hold it in place. Oh God! But um, but uh, Bobby explains he's got to look good because he's going to see Ben Horn and he wants a job. But Shelly wants to go out, but she can't because someone's got to watch Leo. And Bobby explains that if he gets this job with Ben, they'll be on easy street and i would like to note that bobby is still a high school student technically <laughs> he, at some point during this this senior year of his he had to be expelled because he's never there he's just yeah. never there ever uh, i need that wrapped up in season three i need to know how bobby completed his education <laughs> bobby's getting his ged in episode one of the show <laughs> Still, he's still working on it. <laughs> that would be great. So, um, so then we uh, we get a new transition of like a little water pipe fountain thing, which I was like, oh, this is a new shot. I haven't seen this before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we cut to the sheriff's station where uh, Catherine Martell is waiting for Truman in his office. Once again, anyone can just walk into Truman's office. Uh, <laughs> Without anyone knowing it, with apparently. no one, like, yeah, no, no, or alive. No Lucy, they're like, heads up, there's someone in there. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and Catherine looks like she's been hiking. Her face is dirty. She's got a walking stick, and uh, and Truman is happy to see her. She asks if she's under suspicion, and Truman says, "Well, if you if you want to call your lawyer, she can." And she says she's got nothing to hide. And Truman goes, "Well, where have you been?" And she explains about what happened with the fire and what happened with Shelly. And then she was the bomb went off, and she was thrown from the building. And she thinks an angel saved her life because she woke up in the woods and was afraid, and she just walked for miles. And she ended up at her family's cabin in Pearl Lakes, where she proceeded hmm. to eat tuna fish until she ran out, and now she's back. So. She came here to kick ass and eat tuna. <laughs> She's all out of tuna. So now, if I'm right, Pearl Lakes is where Leland's family's cabin was, right? Right. So, Gia- so Perry, you live in Washington. Where is Pearl Lakes in relation to Twin Peaks? <laughs> like, is this feasible? If you walk through the night, will you end up at Pearl Lakes? <laughs> I think Pearl Lakes is 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 right there, attached to town. I think if you look on the the big map, there's a yeah. I think Pearl Lakes is is what the um, what the mill is on. Okay, so it's not that far then. All right, so I'm I'm thinking that it's it's way way far away, but uh, it's not. Yeah, I'm looking at the map now. It's it's right it's there. So maybe like it's, it's a- maybe it's possible. So. 
Uh, uh, she walked through the night. She didn't walk that long. Right. And also, Pearl, Lakes know, is, Pearl Lakes is by Owl Cave. Okay. That's where it is. Yeah. Well, and we all we also know that uh, that she didn't actually do this. <laughs> well, I wondered though because something must have happened to her after the fire, right? Like, how much of this actually is what happened to her? Maybe she did walk to Pearl Lakes that night, and then obviously she cleaned herself up and turned into Tojimura. But right. you know, maybe, well, maybe the first part of that story is true. Well, what I think she she's not somewhere. I think what she's not mentioning is that at the family's cabin, in addition to cans of tuna fish, they have an entire Hollywood makeup kit where she created the Mr. Tajimura character. Geared towards Asian people. Yeah, exactly. You know, we used to we used to make we used to do plays, and we had a great time. Luckily, we had this this makeup. My kit. My dad was a double for Fu Manchu, so yeah. it's uh, Mickey Root Summer House. Yep. So uh, so that so that now Catherine is officially back uh, in the world, and the officials have been notified. But uh, outside Truman's office in the sheriff's station, uh, Lucy is up on a ladder uh, changing the fl- those fluorescent lights, which I feel like, can't someone else be doing this, Lucy? <laughs> Pregnant lady up on a ladder Pregnant changing lights, ladder. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Dick Tremaine comes in, and he's there to announce that he is, he is, he is, he realized that he's, you know, a crashing bore, and he's quit smoking, and he feels as if he needs someone more important in his life to take care of. Uh, and Andy, a hawk walks by and gives them the evil eye, and that reveals that Andy is around the corner eavesdropping. Um, and Dick continues to say that he is positive the baby is his. And as he does this, Andy comes in and climbs. So Dick climbs one side of the ladder. Lucy's at the top, and Andy starts climbing the other side of the ladder. And you think Andy is going to protest and try to, you know, kind of get, you know, Lucy's favor. But instead, he explains that he's from a big family and his mama was pregnant a lot. And whenever she was, she didn't want any fighting. And so they should all be friends. And if Dick wants to talk to Lucy, he's okay with that. And as he's giving this speech, Lucy is just about to kiss him, which is adorable. Um, And then Andy and Dick shake on it. And Andy walks away and Hawk is there waiting and says, what are you, crazy? And Andy goes, no, he knows. He knows Lucy. And what, what turns her on is morals and manly behavior. So, <laughs> I think some manlier behavior would have been for Hawk, Dick, or Andy, one of them, to help her with the light. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on the subject of manly behavior. I don't mean to overemphasize that, but still. Yes, yeah, it just I, gets me that, like, here's all these three perfectly healthy. I mean, not that you're unhealthy when you're pregnant, but right. here are these three people that could easily have said, oh, well, let me get that. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, like, it's not just one fluorescent bulb. There are multiple there. Yeah. Like, this is like. <laughs> um, tricky. They can get away from you, too. Yeah, true, exactly. So, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Lucy's perfectly capable of changing these light bulbs. It's just risky being up on a ladder like that. You yeah. don't want to fall. No, exactly. Just yeah. as long as we're, you know, on the subject of manly behavior. If they hadn't brought that up, then maybe you don't notice it as much. Yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> um, but so now this is one of the times where I nitpick a bit too, bit too much. But uh, so Lucy is changing the light bulbs at the front of the station, the front door. And we mm-hmm. cut back to Truman's office where Cooper comes in. We never saw Cooper come in. We never saw Catherine leave. <laughs> so... <laughs> Three days later. I don't know where Catherine is. Three (laughs) days later, exactly. But anyway, Cooper comes to visit Truman, and he says that he's off to go fishing with Major Briggs, and uh, Truman's got a gift for him as the the Trooper uh, Cooper, uh, the Trooper Romance, as I called it. I think one of our Twitter followers said that. They call the Cooper Truman Bromance Trooper. So... um, (laughs) Uh, the, the Twin Peaks theme starts playing as Truman uh, bestows two gifts on Cooper, uh, a green butt skunk fish lore, which Truman explains uh, that, you know, those fish, they've got one thing on their mind, sex, and this lore will break their concentration just in time to hook them. 
Um, and I looked this up actually, and the green butt skunk is in fact one of the most popular lures oh. uh, in the Pacific Northwest when fishing for steelhead trout. And steelhead yeah, trout nice. is what Washington's known for. In fact, in Seattle, there's some great. There's I think there's a diner called the Steelhead and stuff like that. So um, got a lot of trout. Yeah. So so accurate fishing references on the show. Have you used the green butt skunk recently? <laughs> I've, I've not, but uh, you know, once the new season starts, I'm getting me one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and so the and, and Truman reveals that he made the lore himself, and it's a very touching gift, but not as touching as the next present, which is a Bookhouse Boys patch. And Tr- Truman confirms that he's he's one of the he's one of the gang now. He's in the club, and they give a very awkward high handshake. Um, <laughs> it is really high. Yeah, <laughs> and awkward. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so then at that note, Cooper. And this is kind of Cooper's goodbye. This is like he's, he's getting a send off. And as he walks out into the foyer, Hawk, Andy, and Lucy are all lined up, and Cooper starts saying goodbye. And and Perry, you're you're a film buff. Uh, this is a Wizard of Oz, right? This is. I was just going to say something if you didn't. This <laughs> is strictly. We all know that Lynch has a thing for Wizard of Oz. We've seen Wild at Heart. This sure. is. This is straight up Wizard of Oz. Well, and, and it's he charming go, as hell. He go. He goes as far to compliment Andy's heart. Like it's like because <laughs> you get you get it's like hot. if you're not quite getting it, let me just pound right. it into your brain. Right. Oh, at least most of all. At, yeah. At least he didn't. At least he didn't do it for everybody. But yeah. he, you know, he de- he definitely points out that you know that, that well, Hawk is first, and he, Hawk is is. Brave brave and and uh-huh. andy's got heart and then lucy cooper just says uh invite me to the wedding whoever it is as he looks at andy so uh yep <laughs> the, the other thing i like about this that i didn't notice until rewatching it after the announcement of season three uh what coop says to hawk when he says goodbye to him he says if he's ever lost coop hopes that hawk is the man they send to oh, find him shoot you just sent chills up my spine yeah so with Briggs out of the question i mean like is this you know, does, is Hawk going to have a really important role in season three? Uh, well, wow. I was just well even before the speculation, Tom. Why would Cooper want Hawk to find him? Because he's a tracker. Exactly. I know you love that he's a tracker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe. I mean, Hawk is coming back for season three. Ooh, is this our officially our first season three speculation? I think it is. So it's starting now. Start. It's it's happening again. Yeah. And isn't and isn't Hawk? Or, or at least the actor, the first person we see in relation to se- season three announcements, like when they put that first trailer right, out, the, it, it's him interview. talking about the, you know, the spirit of it. Michael Horst talking about the, yeah, you know, yeah. the vibe of it. He's the first cast member we see. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, so this is this would be a very memorable goodbye, but if uh, if it wasn't for in soap opera tradition. We get a we get a shocking turn of events as FBI agent Dale Hardy come in comes in with a Canadian Mountie uh, to to announce to Cooper that he's been suspended, and we get a dramatic zoom shot on the on Cooper and the gang uh, as we cut to commercial. Um, real quick, uh, so uh, FBI agent Dale Hardy is played by Clarence Williams III, who you might recognize from the the, the Mod Squad television show in the late sixties. And a little bit of fun, fun little bit of trivia about this uh, is that, well, Perry, you probably know this, right? Do you know the trivia, the, the connection between the Mod Squad? Oh, Peggy. Uh, yes. Uh, Peggy Lipton, Norma, was on the Mod Squad with Clarence Williams in 1968. So a little, uh, another, another cast working together before. Um, and the angry. Another connection. Yeah. And the angry, no. the angry Mountie, as I, as I call him, is uh, uh the character named RCMP Officer Preston King, and he's played by Gavin O'Hurley. 
um, who I recognize from Superman 3. He was also in Willow. And then there'll be ties to him, actually his father, later in the show, right? Yes. So, lots of connections. Pre- Preston King is actually uh, the birth name of Harry Goaz. Really? Yeah, his, his birth name is Harry Preston King. He changed it for acting reasons, and, and they used it in the in the show as the character. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, cool. One so- officer spawns <laughs> the name of another. Yeah. Back in the sheriff's station, Cooper explains that Hardy is internal affairs, and Hardy says, you know why I'm here. And uh, Cooper you know, correctly guesses that it was his time in Canada. Uh, but Truman protests that anything would happen would go on, and Cooper asks what the charge is. Uh, misfeasance, uh, which is which is very very serious, um, and they're there to find out what Cooper's um, uh, motives and methods were about his trip to Canada. Yeah, um, it wasn't just the crossing the border; it's yeah. why he did it. Yeah, so they're waiting. They're waiting for uh, evidence to arrive before they move forward. So Cooper's in some hot water. Yeah. Um, also, this is our reason to keep Cooper around. Yes. <laughs> this is. <laughs> This is so rough. Um, it's, it's pretty rough. It gets rougher as we go back to the Great Northern and we see Bobby psyching himself up for his meeting. Uh, and Ben Horn's secretary comes out and says that he's not expected, but they could set something up in a month. Um, where, wherein Bobby yells at the secretary saying that it's about the tape that Ben Horn got. And my thought is, Bobby, this is not a good way to get the meeting you want by yelling at the secretary. <laughs> um, but uh, he, he overestimates his leverage a lot. So it's in lot. character. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Audrey walks by and starts to tease Bobby, asking if it's Halloween, to which Bobby retorts, shouldn't you be in school? <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't you both be in school? Well, and I'll give Audrey credit. Her response is, is, uh, is, is right up there. She says, school numbs my buns. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, Bobby Remember explained. when we all talked like that? I totally do, <laughs> yeah. Um, she's carrying a basket of towels or something. I don't know what she's doing. She's working in the hotel, maybe? Who knows? Um, but Bobby explains he's there on business for a job, and Audrey says, I didn't know my dad was hiring, and, and, and hands Bobby the basket and says, count to ten, of which Bobby's playfully twirling the basket like a child, which I thought was funny to, to, to like visualize his maturity. Right? And after five, he gets to five, and Audrey comes out, um, and Audrey informs him the first rule of business is to know who to speak to. And uh, Bobby says he owes her one as he walks into Ben's office. Um, and we see Ben post-arrest trauma where he's uh, sitting in a robe, smoking a cigar. And uh, he immediately, <laughs> Bobby starts talking to him, says he'll get to the point uh, where Ben then immediately asks for his, his secretary to get his fly swatter because there's a bug in his office. And these two big brutes come and drag Bobby out of the office. And my thought is, where, where were these guys at any point before? Well, yeah, how did Bobby get in <laughs> yeah. if these guys are involved? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I uh, guess they're waiting in a back room for a buzzer to be pushed yeah. or something. <laughs> they're the fly swatters. But, yeah. um, but, oh, that's the code word. You're yeah. right. And Audrey happens to be walking by again, and she yells at them that Bobby's her, her friend and to let them go. And, uh, and Bobby yells about the tape some more to them while he lights a cigarette. And Bobby says that's two she, he owes her. And so she suggests ice cream. And uh, Bobby says, cup or cone? And she, with the full-on innuendo, says, cone, I, mean, I like to lick, which I is mean, a little much. Um, it's a little so much. Audrey's back from yeah. season one. Yeah, yeah in case you didn't get the, the yeah, cherries. Yeah. yeah, nudge, nudge. And what I thought was funny is that, that when the brutes carry Bobby out, they left the double doors to Ben's office open. And then Audrey and Bobby proceed to walk right by the open doors of the office, like walk right past it. 
Yeah, they need a security audit. <laughs> like, like, would, right, would Ben not see, like, yell at Audrey? Like, why go that direction? It's very weird yeah. blocking. Very, very weird. Also, like, is this designed to get Shelly jealous? I mean, you know. I, I don't understand this at all. I don't understand this this scene yeah. or what it starts at all. I don't get the, the point of it. Again, it's, it's probably just another subplot that they had to fatten. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, man. All right. So we go back to the sheriff's station where um, where the evidence they've been waiting for has finally arrived, which appears to be a television with a freeze frame of Cooper at the blackjack table. Uh, no, that's the way they never turned that one off. Apparently. Right, yeah. You got to wonder if Cooper's sick of seeing that, by the way. He's like, yes, <laughs> I was sure. there. I know. Um, and so they start to question him about uh, what he did at one Eye Jacks. And Cooper explains he's there as part of the case and, and Jacques Renault. And uh, the angry Mountie uh, then refers to Audrey's rescue and shows photos of dead bodies. Um, and Agent Hardy, Hardy starts yelling at Cooper about procedure and how he should have notified the Canadian authorities. Um, and the angry Mountie reveals that he was uh, working a sting on John Renault that they'd worked for six months. And sure enough, Cooper blows in and blew everything. And now Renault's escaped. They've got two dead bodies and a lot of cocaine is missing. Um, Cooper then argues about the number of dead people, which I thought was funny. Which is like, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he's like, no, no, there were three dead people. <laughs> if you're going to come at me, come yeah. at me with the right Get facts. Get your facts straight. Right. Love that. So um, Cooper. Yeah, but then uh, Cooper Cooper further explains that he would never be involved with um, with uh, drugs. And uh, Hardy says, well, the DA, DEA is, brought, is being brought in and Cooper's got 24 hours to put together his defense. And then he needs to surrender his badge and gun. So he does so. He leaves. Truman gets called in. And before, as they cross paths, Truman very subtly gives him the bookhouse boy signal. Which is just, okay. Which is fine. Not very subtle at all. Yeah. And, um, and then Hardy explains to Truman that whatever Cooper's guilty of, it won't be held against Truman. And then Truman drops some knowledge and says he's under the impression they need some extradition orders from Canada and a subpoena. And until they have those, they can stuff it. Uh, of which Hardy does not like to hear, but Truman then further says that Cooper is the finest lawman he's ever known and then offers them some coffee on their way out. Well, so, of course. You don't yeah. want to be rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's uh, it feels, this whole feels, the whole thing feels forced, but, uh, Oh, I this guess. whole thing is exposition. Yeah. This is like, okay, we need to tell you in case you didn't see what happened to Cooper. And then we need to tell you why we're keeping Cooper around on this show. And then we're going to tell you a lot of things about how Truman feels about Cooper. Right. Yeah, and it's the one, it's the one issue I have with the direction of this episode too. There's all this exposition and there's not a lot of, dynamic shooting going on to break it up yeah. like it's really just shot counter shot shot counter shot it, it starts to feel as mundane as you know the actual exposition is yeah um and luckily enough we we move from mundaneness to action as we go back to the high school um <laughs> and it's we in case you're curious what nadine was doing uh <laughs> she, she's finally got the cheerleading tryouts where the vice principal is judging the cheerleaders along with the cheerleader coach okay nothing creepy about that uh, listen they got them for they got them on a day rate they had to use them <laughs> <laughs> there's only so much principal and he can do yeah, i'm pretty sure our our vice principal was the coach of the basketball team in my high school, so it's plausible, I Double guess. Double duty, okay, sure. Um, and it's Nadine's turn, and we, we they, they tell Nadine, okay, you're up, and then we get a hard cut to Nadine doing crazy tumble gymnastics where she's flipping, 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 and uh, then she grabs a guy cheerleader and throws him uh, very, very far because he's strong and he lands in the volleyball net across the the, the outdoor field. Um, Great and, effects. And this this was like watching an '80s movie. This was this was awful. Oh yeah. Like like oh, yeah. when they cut to her doing the flips, it's clearly not her doing the flips. 
and then the throwing the guy was like the incredible Hulk Bill Bixby TV show effect. <laughs> yeah, oh, you a nice slow mo. Right? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, that, I, I, I was shocked, but you know, uh, Nadine. So I wouldn't like Nadine when she's angry. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> Uh, so then we go back to Leo's house where Shelly is brushing Leo's teeth uh, as the phone rings and she ignores it. Uh, she's using an electric toothbrush, which in 1990 was very expensive. And uh, and it's Bobby on the phone and Shelly's complaining about Leo, saying she wants to put him in a home. Um, and then Leo moves and freaks her out. And that's about it. So Bobby's not even in the scene. He's just on the phone. I mean, one of the things that you realize about this episode is we've gone from subplots in service of the main plot of Who Killed Laura Palmer to yeah. subplots that are trying to be built up on their own, and we have right. this frantic pace of trying to build them. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's very one thing after and and like these little scenes that are barely a mm-hmm. couple of minutes, if that, you know. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. three Nadine scenes in one episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 ridiculous. It's too much. So uh, then we cut to the diner. Uh, and it's evening, and we get a nice little variation on the Twin Peaks theme song as Norma is taking the tablecloths off the tables, uh, and her mother arrives and says, what are you doing? And Norma explains that the critic has spoken. Uh, the quote was, if you want local color, stop in, but if it's good food you want, find a wider berth. Uh, and turns out her mother corrects her, and it was, if you want local charm, and that's she, and that's because she admits that she's empty Wentz. Uh, something I picked up on immediately when she was criticizing <laughs> the food in the last episode, but that's fine. Um, well, and- this whole mystery was dragged out, forgotten for several episodes, and there's <laughs> no tension in the revelation at all. And no, and not only is there no tension in the revelation, but this is horrible. Like the the fact that her mother's a food cricket critic and keeps it a secret, and then slams her daughter's restaurant, and then defends it, saying that she can't violate her ethics and et cetera, <laughs> and it's not a good restaurant. And it's just like you're supposed to feel for Norma, and I'm glad Norma steps up and tells her mom to get out. She wants her out of her life. But it's like I'm watching this, and like this is this is almost as bad as what they did to Dr. Jacoby. Like this is just mean. Yeah. So, so mean spirited. No. And what did Norma think her mother did for a living? Because <laughs> M.T. Wentz has a reputation. Like, that's not just something you get overnight. Wentz has been writing a long time. What? How long has this lie been going on? Right. And well, that you... is an era-dependent. Like, I, she must have assumed her mother didn't work. Right, yeah, I guess. Or she kept she it a secret for how goes long? goes out to dinner every night. Yeah. <laughs> Travels. Well, because yeah. Ernie, Ernie foots the bill. Well, speaking of Ernie, in case you were cur- curious where Ernie was... Uh, it looks like him and Hank are in camo gear dancing with girls from the one I ja- from one I jacks um, in in what is I'm gonna vote for the clunkiest scene of the episode. Um, Hank and Ernie are up at one I jacks pretending to be on a hunting tri- hunting trip. Uh, Ernie feels bad about lying to Vivian um, and he thinks that Hank wants uh, him to steal her money. Um, and they're like, they must, I think they're drunk or whatever they're doing, but they're like fighting like children, you know, like they're doing the, 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 the wrestling, you know, uh, and then, uh, Jean Renault comes in, uh, and he gets introduced to Ernie by Hank who says that, uh, and he explains that Ernie does is the best that, uh, what he does with numbers is amazing. And, uh, Jean explains that they need $125,000 immediately. And Ernie says he understands exactly. And that he's a massive money launderer and he's hardwired in. 
<laughs> just no, over Colombian and Bolivian industries. Yeah, exactly. They still have this dialogue from Wise Guy. I know it was just like really overdone. <laughs> it was yeah. Um, and so then at that point, then uh, a man in a tuxedo comes in who looks an awful lot like our angry Mountie from earlier. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, it is. It's King, um, and he's dressed in a tux, and he's got a briefcase with bags of cocaine. And they open it up, and they say to Ernie, "Can you take care of that?" And he goes, "Oh yeah," which. Like okay, so if he's the accountant and is a money launderer, he oh, yeah, knows how to move. He knows how to move cocaine. Colombian and Bolivian industries. Yeah, I just I don't understand this scene at all. I had to watch this scene like six times when I was writing up my my recap of this episode because I just I don't understand it. It's very confusing, right? I mean, it like is. it's it's not clear as to what's going on. And uh, it is that that shift between being a money launderer, launderer and moving cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. But so well, Hank, yeah, it's like he does crime things. Yeah. So you know crime people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also we've dragged Jean Reno back. Like, right. We well, kind of thought One Eye Jax was done. Well, we wondered where when Hank and Jean Reno at the when Audrey got rescued and and uh, Hank had his DA badge on him and he, there's right. a reference to that, you know. And I guess they they worked it out. And now they're working together, which is uh, okay. Um, so they leave to go get Hank and Ernie leave to go gamble and uh, and King the angry Mountie doesn't like the look of Ernie, but Jean assures him and says it'll be fine. Uh, and then and then they take one bag of cocaine and King says that you know planting on dr- the drugs on Cooper should be easy. And John says he wants it to be the last nail in his Cooper's coffin. He wants Cooper crucified. So Jean's revenge on Cooper is continuing, which makes you question the motives of the Mountie and Hardy and everything that's going on back in Twin Peaks. Yeah. See, the second half of this scene makes sense, yes. which is like, oh, this is why Cooper's in trouble. There's a plan right. against him because, you know, it, it all fits. The part with Hank and Ernie is a little out of nowhere. It just seems overly complicated. You know, yeah. just just say we want to plant drugs on Cooper and that, that's yeah, all we need to do. Yeah, take the laundering out of it. Just, yeah. yeah, make it a plant. Yeah. And the 125000 is what they were extorting Ben for Audrey for. So clearly they need that money for something, but they never explain what they need that money for. Yeah. Very strange. Uh, so in case you're curious where Harry Truman lives, it looks to be a cabin um, with the bedroom right by the front door because uh, Truman is sleeping <laughs> and, and he gets woken up by some noise, grabs his gun, opens the door, and it's Josie, just as dirty as Catherine was at the beginning of this episode, crying. Uh-huh. And they fall to the ground and Truman thinks this is a good time to start kissing her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly what she right. wanted. I'm sure. Right. I'm sure Josie. Did. Down. Yeah. This is a booty call. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. So, um, so Josie is back and in the arms of Truman. Um, and then we go to the woods where Cooper and Major Briggs are camping out and roasting marshmallows. And uh, Major Briggs looks like a looks like a longshoreman and in, 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 uh, on the waterfront. <laughs> Uh, with his hat and his coat. Um, and Cooper kind of uh, thinking out loud about Bob and what that means. And we get more Major Briggs musing about the forces of evil and uh, good people being vulnerable to darkness. And then we get a, a, a pretty big moment in Twin Peaks where Briggs asks Cooper if he's ever heard of the White Lodge. <gasps> and Cooper says, no, I haven't. And uh, I think I got to go to the bathroom and gets up and walks away. <laughs> Hold that thought. Jeez, I hate that so much. So I much. It's so, so much. Inelegant. Yeah. It, it really is. There had to be it, uh, uh, yeah. the worst. Just the worst. And so while Cooper is uh, enjoying urinating in the open air, as he declared earlier, which is also odd, um, we get some, uh, so we get some uh, owl hoots and a shot of an owl. And then we get a bright flash. And Coop, we cut back to Briggs, who yells out, yells out for Cooper's name. And there's a man standing on the ridge in front of Briggs. And then Cooper runs after him, but Briggs is gone. 
and uh, Cooper chases after him, and the bright light turns off, and we get a, a, a just a shot of Cooper looking at the light tur- turning off, and we don't know what happened. Briggs is gone, uh, and that's the that's the cliffhanger on this episode. And finally, put a fork in us, we're done. Jeez, I I remember the first time I saw this, the Briggs abduction really threw me. Yep, because I was still steeped at this point in the the aura of Bob and the owls and the woods and the spookiness, and Essentially, you know, shining an alien-looking light on on an Air Force officer who previously has had messages from outer space yep. just took yeah. me somewhere. I'm like, I, that doesn't seem to fit. Yep. No, yeah, I know what you mean. This scared me for the wrong reasons because yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was afraid of. I was afraid that they were going to go into alien territory and just sort of rob the show of the, the unique mythos that it, it had started creating. And and looking back on it, like like I said earlier, this feel you know this feels like the first episode of a new season, and so it's clunky and is laying yep. out all those subplots. And I remember after the, this was the first episode, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I need to watch this every time it comes That's, on. I call this the Rubicon. This is the mm-hmm. Rubicon at Twin Peaks. People people either stuck with the show after this or they didn't. Right. Uh, and and as we know, you know, most of the people don't. This is when you start to see your ratings go down. But th- I think that also makes this sort of the. This is what defines. This is what separates Twin Peaks fans from Twin Peaks fanatics. Right. Yeah. If you stuck with the show after this, you stuck with it till the end. But I, this turns a lot of people off. <laughs> and there's a few payoffs at the end of this season if you do stick around. Oh, absolutely. But it takes a while for them to move the pieces around from having to reveal Laura's killer. Well, and, and if you look at it like we go back to the roller coaster analogy where we just had a very, very big peak and now we're, we quickly descend into a very deep valley before yeah. we're able to pick ourselves back up towards the end of the season, basically. Yep. So. I liken it to the difference between checkers and chess. Checkers is all aggressive aggression. It's moving forward. Chess is strategy. It's taking your time. It's moving pieces, you know, around places so they can get where they're going. Second half of Twin Peaks is chess. It takes How too long to get interesting, right? Interesting. I like that. I like that analogy. So Wyndham uh, Merle also likes that analogy. Yeah, sure. Yes, he does. <laughs> Hank, on the other hand, prefers dominoes. Um, so <laughs> So, all right, well, now's the time where we're going to check in with Diane to take some notes, and Diane uh, is where we tell her the things that we noticed in the episode. Uh, and so, Tom, what, what were your notes for this episode? My notes of this are, are, are about the many different ways that we said goodbye to Cooper and tried to keep him. Uh, it seemed like, yet last episode, that what was going to happen is Cooper would go on his fishing trip, and then he would just stick around, and maybe he'd have vacation, and then things would happen, and that seemed like an elegant way to go. And then we have this wonderful Wizard of Oz moment where everyone says goodbye, and it feels like, oh, okay, well, I guess he's leaving right now. But then later on, he does go on the fishing trip, but also we threw in the Mounties that stop him and make him have to stay because he's going to be under suspicion and he can't leave the area. And it it really felt like they they just did not know how to keep Cooper there. So they were throwing several darts against the board, hoping one of them would stick. Right. Uh, it's, it's you're absolutely right. That's that sums it up perfectly. It's very confusing. Um, Perry, upon watching this uh, for your recap or maybe for this, did you notice anything that you never noticed before? Uh, I think just the thing that I mentioned about about yeah. Hawk and the um, yeah, you know, coming out to find him. Other than that. No, this episode's just 
it lacks a, it lacks the it lacks the life that the other episodes have had. Um, my my t- the two things that, well the three things I want to know that I noted and there's silly things but Ray Wise is off of the credits as he's uh, not on the yes. show. Yeah, mm-hmm. good point. Um, I did like when Truman uh, gave Cooper the lore. It was in a brown paper bag and Truman made a point to hold the bag up and go, "I'll recycle this." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as we remember, it was 1990, and recycling was all yeah. the rage, right? That's and uh, yeah, and so then, uh, but the last thing I, I I noticed upon watching this episode, which I never noticed before, is that when uh, we cut to the diner before Norma's mother breaks her heart, uh, who is leaving the diner? But Cooper in his camping gear and Truman. Well, yeah, and Cooper never says goodbye to Truman, right? right. So, so clear, I guess clearly, that makes sense because yeah. he's going to see him later. Yeah, clearly they must have had dinner or something. Mm-hmm. And, right. And, and oh, before oh. Cooper goes to meet Major Briggs because he's in the camping gear, but it's after the FBI agent and the Mountie are there. So, like, I wonder if there's a deleted scene that we just never – we didn't get or something. Well, like, it, so- it makes you wonder if they move the, the gift-giving scene mm. from the diner to an earlier for – I don't know why they would, but – yeah. Yeah, it seems to to hint at a deleted scene. Yep. So, I want to see him eat one of those local dishes. Yep. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> enjoying, enjoying. Oh, and, and the the other thing, uh, the local color that they're enjoying. Uh, the other thing that I didn't think about until you pointed out that Ray Wise is off the credits is that Joan Chen was back yep. in the credits. So yeah. total giveaway that she was going to be in this episode. Yeah, cr- credits, I remember, I remember watching it back when it was first on, watching the credits to see what names were mentioned once you figured out people were coming and going, especially with the with the uh, Mr. Tojimura uh, fake credit. You know, So I remember that being a thing. I wonder if he'll do something about that this time. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they'll change the way they credit it. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I mm-hmm. cannot wait. All right. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're gonna check in at the, at our town hall or that the road the roadhouse has been reappropriated to take your questions. Uh, and you can, as always, you can email us at feedback at damnfinepodcast uh, We love hearing from folks telling their stories about watching Twin Peaks um, and their observations. And Katie R writes in. Uh, we want to thank her. She wrote a very very long email, so I'm gonna hit on some of her thoughts. But um, uh, she said that she was uh, she saw Twin Peaks for the first time in Hungary. Uh, she saw it in Hungarian. I'm sorry, and as I recall, it included the pilot episode. Um, I know it wasn't a ser- I knew it was a series and not just a movie. And I can clearly remember waiting for new episodes every week. I didn't remember a lot of things from the plot, but and then um, and the numerous storylines. My memories included that I loved it, found it weird, and I didn't like the end. I didn't remember. <laughs> I didn't remember Cooper being this warm character. It's probably because of the dubbing and translation issues. I also remember Laura's father being the killer. So that's really interesting. That that does the the Lynchian quirks in another language not come across. I mean, right? there's a lot of wordplay. There's a lot of stuff that probably doesn't translate well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and a lot of you know local cu- cultural references. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly, exactly. Um, but then Katie goes on further to uh, make another observation uh, that she says that uh, she, she said, I noticed and I rechecked the sign to make sure I read the population right, but how few people are at community events. I find it pretty odd. It looks like a three to 4,000 yeah. population town, not even. I live in a town of approximately 7,000 people and I see more people on the streets than I ever see in the series. Is this just me? No, <laughs> no, I agree with her. I'm, I'm always... Especially as I live in a small town in Washington, it seems 50, 51,000 or whatever it is, seems way too big. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it, well, you know, the, and this small, was supposed I, this was supposed to be 5,000, and the network said that's too small, right? Make it bigger, correct. Yeah. 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 
I mean, you're, so you're five, city of fifty thousand people. You've got a few high schools in town, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. and that goes back to the that goes back to I think back in the beginning of this season. No, be, uh, back in season one, Tom when Connor was on, and he'd mentioned seeing Horn's department store and seeing it on like a main street and not liking it because it felt too populated. But you never saw people in that shot. It just got more of a city feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but going back to this episode, that that wake was pretty well attended. Pretty well attended. So maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> Not fifty thousand people, but there was at least there was at least twenty people in that. Oddly, it was all people we've met. Yeah, yeah. Mm, funny how that works. So thank you, Katie, for writing in, and everyone else, please write in. You can email us at feedback at damnfinepodcast, or you can leave a comment on damnfinepodcast.com. We want to hear the things you've noticed, your experiences with Twin Peaks, all that fun stuff. Uh, we thank everybody. We thank Katie for writing in. Uh, so Perry, thanks for joining us. This is a blast. Uh, you were you were so knowledgeable in the world of Twin Peaks. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at h Perry Horton, and uh, you can read me daily on Film School Rejects. Cool. And what what are you what what's uh, what's got you excited these days other than Twin Peaks? <laughs> That's it. Uh, I've been watching a lot of or not a lot of. I've been really in, into Legion that just started on FX. That's really good. Yeah, it's a good. It's show. It's really good. And I have to admit that I have fallen into the Riverdale oh. uh, frenzy. It's it's I'm most right, of it's just to watch Madchen, but I'm right there with you, man. Riverdale and Legion are two great new shows this season. Tom, Absolutely. if if you're not watching Legion, it's up your alley. I watched the first episode of Legion, but I haven't I haven't caught back up again. Yeah, so, so good. Check so out. good. Yeah. All right, so you can uh, follow us on Twitter at DamnFineCast, and we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DamnFinePodcast. And we want to thank everybody for supporting us over at Patreon.com slash DamnFinePodcast. You guys keep this show going, and we can't thank you enough, and we're plotting fun things for you as we get closer to Season 3. So you definitely want to get on that at Patreon.com slash DamnFinePodcast. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Tune in next week when we're going to be here talking about episode 18 in the numbering. (laughs) Season 2, episode 11, uh, Masked Ball. So, oh, which reminds me, who are the brothers that are disputing here? This episode is called Dispute Between the Brothers. The mayor and his... Yeah, the Milfords. Yeah, the Milfords. All right, there you go. I thought maybe it was uh, Hardy and Cooper. FBI, no, the two yeah, FBI that's agents. true yeah, too. Anyway, In so. Twin Peaks fashion, it could probably refer to a bunch of people. Exactly. Totally. So, but next week will be basketball. Until then, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Tom.